Okay, so we're going to pick it up from Daf Yud Aleph, uh, Amid Beis. The uh, Gemara is three lines from the bottom. The last word in line is Taner Abonon. Kansa Rishayim Lashun Nesuin. V'yesh la'edim shaloi nistera. Inami nistera v'leishasa k'debiya. The case of the Gemara starts off like this. It's basically what the Mishnah said, but it's a little bit of a bigger Chiddush. The Mishnah had said that if a woman is widowed or divorced after she's fully married, so she has full marriage, not just Kedushin, she does full Kedushin, Nisuin, and she tells, you know, let's say she's married for a week, and she gets divorced or she's widowed, and she tells the rabbi, she tells everyone, she was never with her husband. She's still a Basula. The halacha is, she is not a Basula, meaning the second husband cannot claim, I thought she was a Basula. No, once a woman gets married fully. It doesn't matter what she says. We assume that they were together. That's the chazaka. The chazaka is that a husband and wife are together, if everything's uh, assumed normal. And therefore, he can't claim, uh, you know, I didn't see any blood, and, 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 and she doesn't get a ksuba of 200. Fine. The chiddush of the Gemara is, what if that same situation happened, but in addition to her saying so, there are witnesses that they were never miyachid. Meaning they did full Kedushin, full Nesuin, and a witness, the Gemara says, Kansarishim Lashem Nesuin, so she was fully married, V'yishol Eidim Shalei Nistra, and there are witnesses that say they never secluded. Inami, Nistra V'leishasak Nebiya, or they secluded, but the witnesses said they never stayed long enough in a room together to actually have have relations together. The halacha is, Ein Hashem Yachalit and Tainis Besulim, Shari Kansarishim. The halacha is, she is not a Besula. And the husband, the second husband, cannot have any tightness against her because he knows deep down that if they got married, even if there are witnesses, you can't rely on them. Now, this is a bigger chiddush than the Mishnah because the Mishnah was talking about without witnesses. This is talking about where there aren't witnesses. Still, the husband has to recognize when he marries her that there is more than a good chance that they're not that she's not a basula anymore. And even though the witnesses say that they were never together, we don't really fully believe them in this regard. Now, the Gemara says now, the, 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 this is a pretty big chiddush. Now, the Gemara says, if you, at the beginning of Taf Yud Beis, the Gemara says, so basically, in this case, from the husband's perspective, he thought she was a basula, and she wasn't. The halacha is, she's still, they're still fully married, and she gets a ksuba. So the Gemara says, Amarabba, you see from here, Zoyse Meres, Konsa Becheskas Basula, Venimtsas Bula, Yeshla Ksuba Mana. We had this discussion yesterday. There's a concept in halacha called a mekachtos. A mekachtos means that if you marry her thinking she's a basula and she isn't, she forfeits her ksuba. Over here, isn't that in essence what's happening? He marries her because she said, and there are witnesses that said that they, she was never with her husband, so she's still a basula. Turns out she isn't. And the Gemara says she still gets a ksuba of 100, meaning it's not a mekachtos. It's still a full-fledged marriage. So you see from here that in a general sense, if you marry a woman thinking she's a basula and she's not, it's not a mekachtos, because that's in essence what's happening over here. He thinks she's a basula, and she isn't, and she still gets a ksuba. So the Gemara says, let's extrapolate from this case to other cases, to all cases, that if he thinks that she's a basula and she isn't, it's still a full-fledged marriage. Now the Gemara rejects it very obviously, and the Gemara says no. Ravashi Omar Ba'alma The Gemara says in general, 
if he thinks she's a psula and she isn't, the marriage is taka void and it's a mekachtos and she doesn't get any ksuba. Why in this case is it different? Because this case, he knew she was married before. I, she said they weren't, they weren't intimate. The witnesses says they weren't, but deep down he knows. Meaning, we were trying to extrapolate. Again, this case is where she was married, but the witnesses said that she was never with her husband. If he marries her and she's not a basula, there's still full-fledged marriage and she gets a ksuva of like an almana and, and he can't have any complaints. And the Gemara says, well, let's extrapolate from this case to all cases that if a guy marries a girl thinking she's a basula and she isn't, it, the marriage is still valid, and she gets a ksuba of 100. The Gemara says that's not fair. In this case, the reason why it's still valid and it's not a mekachtos, it's not a you know um, false advertising, is because deep down he knew they were married before. He knew she was a widow. And even though, yes, she claims they were never together and there's a witness, but deep down he knows that anytime someone gets married, there's a chance. As opposed to a standard case where a guy meets a girl thinking that she was from her whole life and then he turns out that she wasn't a basula. That's not, that's not a case that could be extrapolated. So Ravashi says, this case is different because this case, it's not a mekachtos because he knows that they were married before. She was married before. But in a case where he where she had no marriage before and just stam, it's out of the blue that she find, he finds out that she was not a basula, it could be we would say that that's a mekachtos and he doesn't have to give her any ksuba, potentially. Now... The Gemara has one last question, and that is like this: Venichosh, Venichosh, Shema Tachtav Zinsa. The Gemara just says like this: I understand you have this woman who marries, right? He marries her because she claims, although she was married before, she was never with her husband. There are witnesses that say that she was never with her husband, but we said, and then he marries her. It turns out she's not a basula. So the Gemara said, it's still valid, continue, because deep down he knows that there's a good chance that he w- she was with her first husband. The Gemara just wants to know, how do we know that she didn't commit adultery to the second husband? Meaning, right now she's not a basula, so it's either because the first husband, she was with the first husband, or, again, they had a full year gap after Kedushin before Nesuin. Maybe the second husband did Kedushin, and the witnesses are telling the truth, that she was actually never with her first husband, she got married to the second husband with Kedush, and a year later they, they fully lived together. All of a sudden she's not a basula. How do we know that nothing happened in between? I mean, why is this not a standard... Like, I, I get that there's a chance that it was with her first husband, but why is there no chance that it was against the second husband and its adulteries? Why aren't we, why aren't we concerned about that? So the Gemara says, Amrav Shravya Kagun Shekidushubala Alter. The Gemara says the case that we're referring to is where the second husband did not have a year gap. He did like our weddings, which is Kedushin and Nesuin right away. There's no chance of adultery. The only way that she's not a Basula is if she was with her first husband. But there's no chance of adultery because we're not talking about a case where the second husband was Mekadashir and then a year later did Nesuin. We're talking about a case where it's right away, back to back, like our weddings nowadays. And therefore, there's zero concern of adultery. There's just a concern of when did she not become a Basula? And the answer is by her first marriage. So this Gemara that says, this basic flow of the Gemara was a woman got married to her first husband under the pretense that they were never together, and there are witnesses saying that, and the halachas, we don't believe them, and we believe that deep down, they were fully married, and that entire back and forth. As I mentioned when we started the Gemara, this same back and forth can be applied to our Mishnah. Our Mishnah is also talking about that. Our Mishnah said, if a man marries a woman and she's a widow, 
and she claims she was never with her husband, the halacha is she's a ba'ula. She's not a basula. It's literally the same thing, just the only difference was the brysa that we just quoted, there are witnesses attesting that she was never with her first husband. So some people have the exact, so some version of the Gemara, the Gemara says, Ika de masni la masnisan. Some have the literally exact same back and forth that we just had, but instead of putting it on the brysa where there are witnesses, they just put it on the Mishnah. So it's literally the exact same thing. Some have the, the exact same back and forth, but instead of having the back and forth on the brysa, they have it on our Mishnah. The Mishnah said, If you have a widow or a divorcee after full marriage, but she claims they were never together, her ksuva is only one, meaning like in Almona, the Einlantinus Basulam, and the second husband cannot claim that she uh, she's not a Basula, he can't have any tainas because he knows that they were she was already married before. It's the same thing, it's just the difference is there's no witnesses, it's just her word. What's the case? The cases where the first husband did Kedushin and Nisuin, but they were never together. So Amar Rabba, Rabba says, let's deduce from this Mishnah, that any time a man marries a woman thinking she's a Basula, and she isn't, there is, it's not a mekachtos, and she still has a ksuva, because that's what's happening over here. He married this widow thinking she was a basula, and she's not. And the Allah is, it's not a mekachtos. So let's extrapolate this to all scenarios. And then the Gemara rejects it. Ravashi says, no, in general, we would say it's a mekachtos, but over here it's not a mekachtos, because he knew that she was a widow. And therefore, although she says they weren't together, she he knows deep down it's a very good chance. So the Gemara just says, how do we know that she didn't commit adultery on the second husband? The cases where the second husband did a wedding like ours, which is the Kedushan and Nesuin right away, there was no gap in between. Therefore, the only way she's not a basula is if it's, she was with her first husband. Okay, so it's the exact same Gemara, but instead of being on the Brysa where there are witnesses, it's on the Mishnah. So the Gemara says, The one who has this back and forth on the Brysa would all the more so have the same back and forth on the Mishnah. Why? Because the Brysa is a bigger Chiddush. They're both saying the same thing. The Brysa, right? They're both saying the same thing, which is that if you marry a widow, I don't care what she says. She's not a basula, and you can't have a taina against her if she find you find that she's not a basula. The Bryce is a bigger chiddush because the Bryce is they're witnesses to it. So if you have the same back and forth on the Brysa, Kalvachomer, you would have it on the Mishnah because the Mishnah is a lesser chiddush. But the one who put this back and forth on the Mishnah would not have the same halach on the Brysa. Why? Because you say, If you had this back and forth on the Mishnah, you could say, yeah, in the Mishnah's case, it's not a mekachtos because there are no witnesses. But in the case of the Brysa, there are witnesses attesting that she was never with her first husband. Maybe, if you, if that, that's a very big chiddush to say that you could marry her and she's not a basula and have no tainas. That's a very big chiddush. The one who has this back and forth on the Mishnah would not say that way on the Brysa. He would say that in the case of the Brysa, where there are witnesses attesting that she's still a basula and that she's not, I would say it's like any other case, which is a mekachtos, and it could be the marriage is null and void, and it could be she doesn't get a ksuba, kalvachomer, whatever the, you know, etc. But if you said, so if you said this back and forth on the Mishnah, you would not necessarily be able to say this back and forth on the Brysa, because the case of the Brysa is a much bigger chiddush. Okay. Weiter. The Gemara says like this. Hold on one second. Yeah, okay. Weiter. It's the Mishnah. 
The Mishnah says like this: Ha'oitzel emochama biYehuda shaloi beEdim ina yochulitaim tainus besulim neishem siachidima. We've had this case a couple times, and that is in the case in the cities of Yehuda, which is the the north of Eretz Yisrael, as opposed to the Galil, in the in the cities of Yehuda, super north, but in the, in the cities of Yehuda. The custom was that after Kedushin, before Nesuin, again, they would do Kedushin, Harem Kedushasli, and then they would do Nesuin a year later. So during that year, they're quasi-married, but they're not fully married. In the in the cities of Yehuda, the custom was that they would they would seclude together. Now, the reason why they did that is because they wanted the husband and wife to feel comfortable with each other before the wedding. Now, it's very unclear if it was with the blessings of the Rabbana, most likely not because they're not fully married yet to allow yichud. One of the side effects of this custom was, if you were from the city of Yehuda, and you secluded with your kala, you no longer can have a taina against her. You know, if you find out she's not a basula, you can't say, well, uh, I'm not paying her the full ksuba, because we assume you were probably the one, the, the chasen was probably the one who was with her. Right, so because they were together and they were technically married, we assume that he was the one who did it, and therefore he no longer can have any tainus on her. Elam tainus dam Okay, so this is dafke in the cities of Yehuda. So the Gemara says, midiktani ha'oichal. Now the lashon of the Mishnah was, if you were a chasan from Yehuda who secluded with his wife, not that they all did it. So the Gemara says, you see from here that even in Yehuda, it wasn't a universal custom to do this. It was within Yehuda, there were some people who were less from who did it. But it wasn't like every chassan and kala from the city of Yehuda did this. So medektani ha'oichel, the fact that the lashon of the Gemara is ha'oichel, meaning that some did it, there are some people in Yehuda that did it, that were not makbid, and then some people in Yehuda were very makbid, and they did not seclude. So even within Yehuda, there were different customs. Amr said, you see from here, that even within Yehuda, there are different customs. Some are some were like any other chasen and kala, not secluding, and all the halachas apply. And some feel that, no, in, in, in some cities of Yehuda, some areas of Yehuda, they were not makbid. So there was no universal custom of Yehuda. Kedetanya, the Gemara says, I'll prove it to you. Now, the proof is, this b'risa is going, we'll, we'll go through the b'risa together, and you'll see that within Yehuda, there were some times that you could, uh, that they were makbid, and they could claim, you know, she's not a basula, and I'm not paying the ksuba, and sometimes they were not makbid, and they did seclude together, and they forfeited that right. Kedetani, the b'risa says, Amr of Yehuda, look at this b'risa, the b'risa says, Be Yehuda b'rishona, in the city of Yehuda originally, they would seclude the chasen and kala together an hour before the chuppah, meaning, in Yehuda, there was a custom to seclude the chasen and kala together, so that they'd be comfortable with each other. But this was not the custom in the Galil. Okay. Okay, so that was what we were accustomed to. That in Yehuda they were not makbid; they would do yichud. However, the Brisa then says in Yehuda, Originally, they would have two shushbinim. Shushbinim were like uh, gabais, 
אחד לוי ואחד לא, כדי למשמש את החוסן וסקלה בשעס כניסוסן לחופה. One would be the attendant of the chassan, and one would be the attendant of the kala. And what they would do is, before the chassan and kala were together, were intimate, the attendant of the chassan would go in, make sure there was no funny business in the room. The attendant of the kala would walk in, also make sure there's no funny business, meaning you want to make sure that, let's say, she's a basula, right? So that means that there will be blood. You want to make sure that the attendant of the kala would make sure that the chassan would not steal the sheet and destroy it, because then he'd be able to claim something against her. And the attendant of the chassan would go in and make sure that they, they didn't, you know, pour, spill anything on the bed to make it look like there was blood when there wasn't. So each one would basically look out for each other. Now, pause. This custom of having a gabai for the chassan and a gabai for the kala in Yehuda means that they did not seclude together, because once they secluded together, this whole thing is out. Once they secluded together, there's no sheets, there's no nothing, because we just assume that even if there is no blood, we just assume, all the chassan and kala must have lived together. So the fact that you have in the same b'raisa that in Yehuda they secluded, and then it says in Yehuda they had shushbinim, obviously means within Yehuda, sometimes they secluded, no shushbinim, sometimes they had they didn't seclude, and they were like any other, any other pair, and they had shushbinim. That's the Gemara. That's that's the point of this brisa. Let's keep going. Berishona hayushashbinim yeshenim bayish achosam nekali yeshenim ba. Originally, the shushbinim not only would they enter the room before they would actually sleep in the same house to make sure that they were around if anything happened. came, but that was not the custom in the Galil. So you see that within Yehuda, sometimes they were makbid to not do yichud, and sometimes they were miachid. Now the Brisa ends off with this cryptic line. Anytime you did not fulfill this custom, you no longer can claim anything against the Kala. Now what does that mean? It means if you did not fulfill this custom, we don't know what this custom is, then you no longer can claim the Kala is not a Basula, no Tainas on the Kala. What does this mean? Ahai, what was I referring to? Now, it could be that it's actually going back on the first custom, meaning the first part of the Brisa was that in Yehuda, they secluded with each other. Now again, once you seclude with each other, you forfeit all rights to claim anything against the Kala, because you could claim the Kala is not a Basula, and we would say, yeah, because you guys were Miyachid. So the Lushan of the Brisa is, anytime you fulfill this custom, you no longer can have a Taina. Kol Shaloi Nog, anytime you do not fulfill this custom, you cannot have a Taina. Technically, it would actually mean Anytime you did seclude, meaning when it says anytime this line at the end of the Brisa, anytime you did not fulfill this custom, you no longer can have a taina, what is that custom referring to? If it's referring to secluding, then it should it should be instead of anytime you did not fulfill this custom, it should be anytime you secluded, anytime you actively did seclude. So the Gemara just has a diktuk thing. It should be anytime you secluded, not anytime you did not fulfill this custom. It's anytime you fulfill this custom by secluding, you don't have a taina. El Asefa, okay, maybe it's at the end of the Brisa. The end of the Brisa was using Shushbinim. So it's anytime you did not fulfill this custom of Shushbinim, you no longer can have a taina. The Gemara has again, it's a diuk in Lashen. It should be, it shouldn't say anytime you did not fulfill this custom, it's anytime you did not have Shushbinim. Mushmash, anytime you did not use Shushbinim. So the Gemara just wants to know exactly what is the Brisa referring to at the end. So Amr Abaya says, really, it's going on the first part. 
And what it means is anytime you secluded, you no longer could have a taina, and you have to change the lotion called shinohag. Anytime you had this custom of secluding, you no longer had a taina, so you have to take out the word loy to make it work. Rava says, but it's not what it says. You can't just change the lotion of the price. That's not what it says. You know what Rav says? You know what it means? It means any time you did not fulfill this custom, meaning in the Galil. In the Galil, they did not seclude together. It was a standard case of a Chosan and Kala where if she's not a Basula, he does not have to pay the Ksuba and you have a Taina. So what does it mean any time you did not fulfill this custom? Meaning any time in the Galil that you did not fulfill the custom of the Galil and you secluded, meaning any time in the Galil you did not do what's normal, and you actually secluded together, then you forfeited the taina. And Ravashi actually says, <clears throat> it's actually going at the end of the b'risa, anytime you don't have shishbinim, you don't have a taina, because without the shishbinim, we don't know what's going on. And take out the word nohag, put in shishbinim, mushmash. Okay, fine. Okay, that was just a last little bit of a diktuk. Two more sugyas, one more mishnah and gemara, and then one more mishnah and gemara. Okay. The halachi is like this. A ksuba, this is actually very negit. Ramosha Feinstein had a tshuva, which I have spoken about many times. The Ramosha held that if the kala is not a basula and she was never with a guy, and the chosen knows this, he could write basula in the ksuba because, I mean, that's always the thing. If she's not a basula, what do you write? Because you don't want to embarrass her. But if she's not a basula, she shouldn't get paid basula money. So Ramosha held that if the chosen and kala are aware it's not like a Mekachtos. He's aware that she's not a Basula. He could write Basula in the Ksuba if he wants, because a Ksuba is a, a financial document. It's a it's a it's a sell it's a worth. It's a value of what a person is worth. If a person is willing to, I know this sounds bad, but a person is willing to overpay, okay. Meaning she's not a Basula, but if the Chassan says to me, I'm gonna pay Basula money, that, that's fair. This concept of having a basically overpaying and it being standardized in the Ksuba took place in the following Mishnah. The Mishnah says like this, A widow, whether she's the widow of a Yisrael or the widow of a Kayin, the halacha is Ksuvasa Mana, meaning a widow, it doesn't matter who her first husband was, whether she married a Kayin, the first husband, married a Yisrael, all widows get a Ksuba of one Mana, so it's half the value. Then the Mishnah says, Bezdin Shil Kayhanim, the custom was that it, the Bezdin of Kehanim would have it that if you married a Kayan, if you married a Kayan, the Bezdin of Kehanim had it that if you married a Kayan, oh, actually, no, I'm sorry, not if you married a Kayan, a Bas Kayan. Whether a Bas Kayan is marrying a Kayan or a Bas Kayan is marrying Yisrael, they originally had the custom that all Bas Kayans. If they're a basula, they get 400. So the standard basula is 200. But that, that custom was that if you married a Baskayan, you get 400. Because she's more chashiv. Because she's a Baskayan. She's a basula and a Baskayan, double. So it what the custom was that if you married an almana, it was 100. But if you married a Baskayan, it was 400. And Chazal didn't have a problem. Because again, if that's what people want to pay, it's a financial document. They could pay, it's it's... It's, you know, it's an agreement. You want to pay more, you want to pay more. That's fine. Says the Gemara, Tano, almonas kehanim ksuvasamasayim. Now, think about it. If you have a baskayin, so if you have a baskayin who married a kayin, or baskayin who married a soul, it's 400. 
But if so, but what what about an almana of a kayan? It's one hundred. That's a big drop off. So the Gemara says it was it changed to almana of a kayan two hundred. So a standard almana was one hundred, but almana of a kayan, meaning if his first husband was a kayan, she was two hundred. So the Gemara says, wait a minute. You're telling me that the widow of a kain was 200. Our Mishnah says it was 100. So which one is it? So the answer is, there were stages. There were stages. Originally, go to the next page. Originally, if you married a Bas Kayin, it was 400 if she's a Basula. But if she, if the widow of a kain was 100, as our Mishnah said, the problem was the 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 difference between 400 and 100 is so great that people were like looking down on widows you know it's one thing from 200 to 100 okay it's 50 percent value you're going from 400 to 100 it was degrading says the gemara people used to start looking down on widows so they decided no if you're going to marry a baskain it's 400 then the widow of a coin is 200 so they upped the value but the problem with that was, now here's the problem. The widow of a Kayan is 200. Now that's very nice. The problem is, that's a lot of money. And there were some men who started to say to themselves, if I'm going to spend $200 on the widow of a Kayan, I could also spend 200 and get a regular Basula. It's not worth it. So the Gemara says, the People were avoiding marrying these widows because while it's very nice that we up their value so that they're more valuable and, and people won't degrade them, but it also costs more. And people were marrying them less. Why? Because people said, I could spend that same amount of money and I can get the widow of a Kayan. It really sounds bad, but this was the this was the cheshman that they made. It was a financial cheshman. I can marry a basula. So therefore, Adrenal Masayu, they, orig- they went back to Almana of Akayim being 100. So originally it was 100. They upped it to 200 because they wanted to make it more chashiv, but then they realized it wasn't working for the Almana, so they went back to 100. Okay. One last point before the next Mishnah. The Mishnah said that the, 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 the Minig became that if you married a Baskai and it was 400. Says the Gemara, Don't think that this is a special halacha for Kohanim, that only Kohanim could, could raise the value. Let's say there's a very chash of a family. I'll give you an example. The, 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 the Kinevsky family in Eretz Yisrael, they're a very chash of family because the Stipler and Chaim and the Chazanish. If they decided that any woman from their family, because they're a very hush of a family, it's 400, they have the right to do that. Meaning, don't think that it's a special thing. Oh, for Kahanim, we'll raise the prices. It's any time there is an accepted acceptance. If people want to if people want to up the value of a certain family, okay, we, we don't have a problem with that. We don't care. As long as everyone's on board, we don't have a problem. So when the Mishnah said a Baskayan, that was more of an example, but it doesn't have to be a Baskayan. Okay. The Gemara says, wait a minute, here's the Kasha. The Brisa says, if you want to up the value, that's fine. What's the example? A Bas Yisrael to a Kayin or Bas Kayin to Yisrael? 
every example in the Brisa of upping the value involves a Kayan. So you're telling me it doesn't have to be a Kayan. It could just be any family that's Chashiv. There's a Sephardi family that has a Chashiv name. You know, Abu Chatzeras, they want to raise the value. That's fine. But every single example in the Brisa is a Kayan. So why would it, if, if it doesn't have to be Kahana, why is every example a Kayan? The Gemara speaks it out. It sounds like you need to have some element of Kehanim. So the Gemara says, Loi. Loi mi boi kamer. Loi mi boi basisol yisrael doi matzi amrla aluye kamalin lach. Avasisol le kain matzi amrla aluye kamalin lach. Aim aloi kamash malon. The Gemara says, No, the truth is it doesn't have to have any element of Kehanim in the family to up the value. So why does it keep on giving examples of a kayin? I'll tell you why. It's a bigger chiddush. The chiddush is, in the case where there's a kayin involved, you might think that he shouldn't have to pay more. Every time you're raising the value of the ksuba, that's raising the value that the husband has to pay, so that the husband will have to pay more. The chiddush of the b'risa is that even if it's a kayin, he still has to pay more. Meaning like this. To answer the question... The Gemara answers that really, if you raise the value, as long as everyone's on board, that's the value. Why does the Brisa keep on mentioning Kaihanim? It's because it's a Chiddush that even if it's a Kayan, he has to pay more. Why? Because again, when you pay more, you don't think of it, but the kay, the husband is paying more. right? Anytime you're paying more, that's not just like, oh, to protect the Kaihanim, it means the husband is paying more. The Chiddush of the Brisa is that if he's a Kayan, he has to pay more, and he doesn't, and he can't say to the kala, "Listen, I'm a kayan. You're not a kayan. By you marrying me, you're all of a sudden now married to a kayan. That itself should be enough. Meaning, you might think that he could say to her, "Why should I have to pay more? I'm raising you up in the stature of Klal Yisrael. That should be the equivalent of paying more." Kamash no, if there's an agreement to pay more, he has to pay more, even if he's a Kayan. So the examples of a Kayan is not to say that it has to be a Kayan in order to pay more. It's saying that even a Kayan who's raising her stature, naturally by marrying her, he still has to pay more. But of course, if it's non-Kayhanim, of course paying more is an option. That, that, was, never, that was never a Shailu. Okay, from here to the next Mishnah is uh, these are like the sugya gemaras. They're not very difficult when you're doing dafyomi, but when you're doing it in bein, this is where it's a little tricky. The gemara has the following case. The mishnah has the following case. You marry a woman and she's not a basula. So now we've been dealing with this for the last couple of and now we're dealing with what is her response? Meaning, what is what does she say happened? So he oimeris mishar sestani she says, listen, I'm not a basula. You're right, but I was attacked after we were married. Meaning, when we married each other, I was a basula, but I was attacked. And therefore, my ksuba is still a 200 because I was a basula when we got married. That's her taina. He responds, He says, no, you were not a basula when we got married and you forfeited your ksuba. So she says she gets a ksuba of 200, a full ksuba, because she was a basula when they got married. He says, no, you forfeited your ksuba entirely. So the question is, who do we believe? That's, that's the, those are the two possibilities, and who do we believe? She claims she wants the full ksuba of 200, he claims you get nothing. So says the Mishnah, it's a machloikis. Rav Gamliel, Rav Elazar, Oymrim Ne'emenes. Rav Gamliel and Rav Lezer says she is believed. 
Rav Yeshua Omer Loi Mepianu Chayim or Rebbe Chazkes Bul actually Tesaris Vitosach Etavi Rael Devarel and Rav Yeshua says no, she's not believed until she brings a proof that she was a Basula or she brings a proof that she was attacked after she was married. So it's a Machloekis Rav Gamliel and Rav Yeshua. Rav Gamliel says that she's believed. Rav Yeshua says she is not believed. Now pause, and this this same Machloekis is going to come up over the next three or four Mishnayis, varying cases. But you have a Machloekis. Rev Gamliel and Rev Yeshua. Again, she claims she gets a full ksuba 200. He says you get nothing. Rev Gamliel says she is believed. And Rev Yeshua says she is not believed. The Gemara understands at first, and this is very important. When we start the Gemara, the Gemara is going to bring an example. And the Gemara is going to feel that it's very much related. And the example it's going to bring is related to like a loan document. What's the Machlokas about? She claims she should get a ksuba of 200 because she was a b'sula. He says, you get nothing. You were, it's a mekachtos. Rav Gamliel says she's believed. Rav, Rav Yeshua says she is not believed. He's believed. What's the machlokas? The machlokas is the following. You have a scenario where there's a claim against money. Her claim is bari. She has a definitive claim. He has a possible claim. She is saying, I am telling you with 100% certainty, this is what happened to me. Her claim is 100%. His claim is, no, you are not a basula. He can't say that with 100% certainty. So let's say he's 50% conf- confident. She's 100% confident. However, see, Rav Gamliel says, whenever there's a bari and a shema, a positive against a maybe, you go with the positive. She's positive, we're going to give it to her. Why does Rav Yeshua disagree? Because he says, when it comes to money, anytime there's a claim, the rule is, If you have a claim against someone and you want to take money from that person, you got to prove it. In this case, who's taking money from whom? She is trying to take money from him. She's got to prove it. So the Machlegas of Gamil and Rav Yeshua, in this case, is do you go with the bari? Do you go with the definitive claim, which is her? Or do you go with hamotzi mechavel avaraya? That is, basically, the money stays by whoever it's in his pocket. And in this case, is in his pocket. So you go with him. That's the machlokas. Do you go with bari? Or do you go with hamotzi mechavel avaraya? And you're going to see this same machlokas repeats itself in other scenarios not related to ksubas. Let's start the Gemara. The Gemara says, Itmar, manali biadecha. One person says, hey, you owe me a hundred dollars. He's saying, one person says, I'm telling you with 100% certainty you owe me $100. The other guy responds, I'm not sure. So you got one guy claiming 100% you owe me money, the other guy says, I'm not sure. So you got a definitive claim against a non-definitive claim. Do we go with a definitive claim and say the guy owes him money? Or do we say no? You always go that the proof is on the person who owns the money. In this case, the guy who owns the money keeps it until there is proven. Your word is not enough. So do you go with the guy's word, which is 100%, or do you go with Hamotzi Mechavel The exact same machlokis, seemingly, of Rav Gamliel and Rav Yeshua is in this machlokis. So what's the, what is the opinion over here? Rav Yudav Rav Huna Amr Chayiv, Rav Rav Huna Amr Chayiv, that you have to pay the money because he's definitive claim. Rav Nachman Rav Yochan Amr Potter. Rav Nachman Rav Yochan says, no, Potter, because we go with Hamotzi Mechavel all of Araya. So Rav Huna Rav Yeshua Chayiv, why Bari Vishem Bari Adif? They say that when one's definitive and one's not sure, you go with a definitive. In this case, the guy said, you owe me money, he's definitive. The other guy said, I'm not sure. So you go with definitive and he has to pay the money. Rav Nachman, Rav Yochanan, Rav Potter. Uki money becheskes mari. Rav Yochanan and Rav Nachman say, no. Even if the guy's definitive, we keep the money by the person's pocket it is until the other one proves. It's the burden of proof is on the other guy. So he holds on to the money until there's 
until there's 100% proof that he owes him money. The Gemara continues. So you have this Machlokas, which again, very closely related, seemingly, to the Machlokas between Rav Gamliel and Rav Yeshua in our Mishnah. So the Gemara says like this, who said that you're chayiv, because you go with the bari v'shem bari adif, that you go with a definitive claim, which again, as I said, is also the opinion of Rav Gamliel in our Mishnah, that's Shmuel. That follows Shmuel's view, because Shmuel follows Rav Gamliel, Shmuel paskins like Rav Gamliel, that you always go with a definitive claim. That's true in our Mishnah with the woman, and that's true in uh, in that claim when it comes to alone. Ditanan. The next Mishnah also brings down another machlokas, you know, of Gamliel and Rabbi Yeshua. The machlokas was Haisim Uberis. You have a woman who's pregnant. And they said, Who is the father? So she claims, She claims with definitiveness. She's a hundred percent positive that it's the father is a certain person who's a kayan. Rav Gamliel, Rav Elazar, Oymim Nemenis. Rav Gamliel, Rav Elazar says she's believed. Rav Yishu disagrees. Vam Rav Yudam Rishmul, Halachik Rav Gamliel, and Shmuel says Halachah follows Rav Gamliel. Vam Rav Shmuel bar Yehuda, Rav Yehuda Shinina, and Rav Yehuda said to and and Shmuel said to Rav Yehuda Shinina, sharp one. Vam Rav Mishmei to Shmuel, Halachik Rav Gamliel after Rishona, that Shmuel followed. Rav Gamliel's halacha, even in our Mishnah, meaning in our Mishnah, where he claims, she claims to be Absula 100%, he claims, no, you're not at all, it's Mekachtos. So Rav Gamliel said that she holds on to the money because we said, Bari Vishem Bari Adif, that you go with a definitive claim over Hamotzi Mechaver Lavaraya, so you go with a definitive claim. So Shmuel passes like Rav Gamliel, so therefore Shmuel would also follow the opinion of Yehuda Maravuna that in the case where one person says you owe me hundred dollars, the other one says I'm not sure, he would have to pay the money because we always go with the definitive claim. My Fine. So you have this machlokis in our Mishnah. Again, the woman claims that she was a Psulwan and she got married and she was attacked after one hundred percent. He says, No, most likely not. I don't have to pay you anything. What does Rav Gamliel say? Rav Gamliel says, Rav Gamliel says that she's believed. Why? Because we said, and Rav Yeshua disagrees. So we're trying to make it a broader machlokas of do you go with a definitive claim or do you go with that the money stays by the person whose pocket it's in? In which case it would be if you go with Bari, then she's correct. If you go with Moshev he's correct. So we said that Machlokas is very similar to the following Machlokas of Amaroyim. The Machlokas was, uh, uh, John says to, you know, uh, Reuben says to Shimon, hey, you owe me money. And Shimon says, I'm not sure. So Rav Huna, Rav Yehuda says that uh, uh, Reuben is, is believed. He's the one who said he owe me money. He's definitive. Just that follows Rav Gamliel, that we follow the woman. And Rav Yochanan says, no, that Shimon is believed because we keep the money in the pocket of the person who belongs to, and therefore Rav Yechonah would say the same thing that Rav Yeshua is believed, that uh, that the uh, that the husband is believed, so you want to say that Machlokas Tanoim is the same Machlokas Amaroim. The Gemara says, We want to say it's the same Machlokas. The Gemara rejects it. And we'll end with this. I'm Rav Nachman. No, I know the Amri Afilu Rav Gamliel. Rav Nachman says, it could be, that Rav Nachman says, Rav Nachman is of the opinion, in the case of the loan, he feels that if, again, Reuven says to Shimon, you owe me money, and Shimon says, I'm not sure, so Rav Nachman said, Shimon is correct, and he holds on to the cash. So we said that that's following Rav Yeshua, and that's not following Rav Gamliel, because according to Rav Gamliel, you always go with a definitive claim. If that would be the case, then Reuven should have to pay the money. So the Gemara says, no, it could be these machloksim are not related. 
Adkan Lokomer of Gamil Hasamadika Migu. Avalhocha my Migu Ika. Rav Nachman says it could be in general. I agree with Rav Gamliel that in the case of the Mishnah, again, she claims with 100% positive that she's she's not a basula, but she claims that it happened after marriage, so she's she gets basula money. And he says, no, you, you are not a basula at all. It's a mekachto. So Rav Gamliel says she's believed. So Rav Nachman says it could be in general, I follow Rav Gamliel. I, why did you say not like him? Because you said that... Uh, you said that uh, that Shimon is believed in the case of the money, and we say Hamotzim Chelvarayas. If you say Hamotzim Chelvarayas, why do you believe the woman? He says two reasons why the, the case of the woman is unique. Right, we're looking at the case of the woman again. She claims she was a basula. He claims you were not. Rav Gamliel says she's believed. So we're trying to say, you know, in other cases that would mean that we we take money from someone when the other person is definitive. Rav Nachman says, maybe not. It could be the case of a woman is different. Why? There's a migu. Migu means that she could claim something else. What, what She was accused of not being a basula. And therefore she was claimed, she was accused of, of, of it being a mekachtos and she's not owed anything. And she says, no, I was attacked after marriage. It could be, in general, we don't believe her. In, in such a scenario, we actually believe the person who's holding on to the cash. But why is this different? Over there, over here, there's Amigo. She could have claimed that she was never attacked at all. She could have claimed she was a Mukasetz. She could have claimed that she was a Basula, and she was never attacked at all. She never she never lived with someone else. And it's not a matter of when. She, she was a Mukasetz. Because she could have claimed that and she didn't, then we assume that what she's saying is the truth. The Gemara says there's Amigo. If you look at Rashi, she could have claimed that she was mukasets, that she that she had an accident, and that's why she's not a basula. Because she could have said that wonderful claim. So because she could have claimed that and she didn't, we assume that what she's saying is the truth. But it's not something you could extrapolate to the loan case. Or or another reason why that case is unique is because a woman's body is a chazaka. A chazaka means that you keep everything status quo. Status quo is a woman which she is a basula until told otherwise. So therefore, not only is it, you know, it's not just a standard machlokis of, you know, definitive claim against hamotzi mechavei lobaraya. It's, it's more than that. It's definitive claim against hamotzi mechavei lobaraya. But in addition to a definitive claim, she also has a chazaka on her on her side that the chazaka is that her body remains the same until proven otherwise, and a woman is a basul until told otherwise. So that's another reason why the loan case is not exactly the same. So the Gemara says, Therefore, it could be, says Rav Nachman, it could be I agree with Rav Gamliel that the woman is believed. But I'm also but I also believe that when it comes to monetary cases, we don't believe the one who claims hundred percent. And we go with the person who holds onto the cash because the case of a woman is unique. That makes sense. It makes sense. Go to the next page. That Rav Nachman can work with Rav Gamliel. That Rav Nachman, who said that the when the loan case, we believe the person who is doubtful because he's holding onto the cash, but we also pass on like Rav Gamliel that we believe the woman. Uh, even though she's not the one holding on to the cash, because they're two unique concepts. Because if you did not reconcile this, we would actually have a stira. We have a rule that the halacha falls are Nachman when it comes to monetary cases. But we also pass on like Rav Gamliel. So it must be, 
it must be that Rav Gamliel and Rav Nachman can work hand in hand. And his case of money is unique. I will stop here.